Hi, welcome to the podcast. In this session, we will cover non-obstetric surgical conditions in pregnancy. There are more than 8,000 urgent non-obstetrical surgical procedures performed each year, impacting up to 2% of all pregnancies. The evaluation of the pregnant patient must weigh the risks and benefits of diagnostic methods and therapy on the mother and the fetus as well. Complicating care is the fact that the normal physiologic and anatomical changes that occur in pregnancy may make it difficult to interpret signs usually used in the early diagnosis of emergency conditions. The delay in diagnosis and treatment of the surgical abdomen in the pregnant patient because of fear of unnecessary procedures and tests contributes to the high complication rate in this patient population. So, attention to detail, heightened suspicion, serial physical examination, clinical awareness, and systematic evaluation can help avert unnecessary maternal complications and fetal loss from emergency surgical conditions. So, in this session, we will review and highlight the more common causes of acute abdomen in pregnancy and suggested treatment options. Appropriate diagnostic tests or procedures should never be avoided or delayed simply because of pregnancy. Never penalize a patient just for being pregnant. All right, now let's cover radiological issues in the pregnant patient. The key concern regarding imaging during pregnancy is the effect of ionizing radiation on the growing fetus. The risks of radiation include fetal death, growth retardation, microcephaly, malformations, mental retardation, and childhood cancers. Knowledge of the effects of radiation on fetal development has been extrapolated from animal studies and observation of exposed human populations like those of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. While the American College of OBGYN states that exposure of less than 5 rads has not been associated with an increase in fetal anomalies or pregnancy loss, clinically, the fetal dose of concern for teratogenicity is probably in the range of 10 to 20 rads, much higher than the minimum set of ACOG of 5 rads. Once again, this is reassuring and gives us an area of safety. When deciding on the appropriate workup for any pregnant patient, always remember the principle that a pregnant patient should not be penalized just for being pregnant. Okay, so let's put this into perspective. A typical PAN scan, that means CT image of the head, cervical spine, chest, abdomen, and pelvis, usually delivers at or less than 5 rads. An abdominal CT scan can be performed to evaluate abdominal pathology with only 0.3 rads. Ultrasound is useful in, it, in identifying appendicitis, cholecystitis, and free fluid around abdominal trauma and poses no known risk to the growing fetus. Additionally, MRI is emerging as a useful test to evaluate the abdomen in pregnant women without exposure to any ionizing radiation. Radiation exposure during endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography, or ERCP, can be reduced to a level significantly below 5 rads. In several series that measured the amount of radiation exposure during ERCP, pregnant patients were actually exposed to anywhere from 0.04 to 0.18 rads without any short-term complications to the pregnancy and newborns. There's been noted to be a clear correlation between the length of fluoro time with radiation exposure. 
but precautions can be taken, like using lead shielding placed underneath a pregnant patient, maximizing the distance between the patient and the x-ray source, and decreasing fluoroscopy times, all of which are recommended to minimize exposure. The technique of ERCP without using any radiation for pregnant patients has also been described. Magnetic resonance cholangiopancreatography, or MRCP, has also been described for use in pregnancy and is growing in popularity. Okay, now that we've covered imaging, let's get back to the issue at hand, which is the presentation of a pregnant patient with an acute abdomen. Approximately 1 in 600 women require non-obstetrical abdominal surgery during pregnancy. Making the diagnosis is often problematic for the following reasons. The expanding uterus, which displaces other intra-abdominal organs and can make physical exam difficult. The high prevalence of nausea, vomiting, and abdominal pain, which which can be routinely encountered in a normal obstetrical patient, and the general reluctance to operate unnecessarily on a gravid patient. Acute appendicitis and cholecystitis are the most common non-obstetrical emergencies requiring surgery during pregnancy. So that's your clinical pearl. Acute appendicitis and cholecystitis are the most common non-obstetrical emergencies requiring surgery during pregnancy. Okay, next, let's cover appendicitis in the pregnant patient. Acute appendicitis during pregnancy was first reported in the literature in 1848. It is the most common non-obstetrical surgical emergency during pregnancy. It occurs in about 1 in 1,000 to 2,000 pregnancies and may occur at any time during the pregnancy. The diagnosis is more frequently missed in pregnant than in non-pregnant patients because signs and symptoms of appendicitis like leukocytosis, nausea and vomiting are also commonly seen in normal pregnancies pregnancy. There's a question of reliability of the abdominal exam in pregnant patients suspected of having appendicitis. The classical teaching is that the location of pain from appendicitis moves progressively upward as the pregnancy progresses, and that was based on an original study in 1932. However, more recent retrospective studies have failed to corroborate this hypothesis, showing roughly 90% of patients having pain in the right lower quadrant regardless of trimester, just like in non-pregnant individuals. Maternal morbidity is usually the result of a delay in diagnosis. Fetal loss can occur in up to 5% of pregnant patients without perforation, but can be as high as 36% with perforation. This high risk of fetal loss with perforation, along with the difficulty of diagnosing appendicitis in the pregnant patient, explains the high rate, about 50% in some studies, of normal appendices being found at surgery. Traditionally, this high rate of negative operation had not been found to increase maternal or fetal morbidity. However, recent data suggests that negative appendectomy may be associated with an increase in fetal loss. Therefore, it's important to confirm the diagnosis before heading to the OR just because we don't want to miss a ruptured appy ultrasound, CT, MRI, or even diagnostic laparoscopy can confirm the diagnosis. Ultrasound should be the first-line study for abdominal pain in the pregnant female. However, the sensitivity ranges from only 20% to about 36%. If ultrasound is indeterminate, the next study that should be ordered is an MRI. 
If MRI is unavailable, a CT scan may be ordered. While this diagnostic accuracy of CT for appendicitis in the non-obstetric population has been very well described, there is a lack of data for pregnant patients. Two small studies looked specifically at pregnant patients demonstrated successful diagnosis of appendicitis in about 5 out of 7 patients and 12 out of 13 patients. Protocols involving abdominal ultrasound followed by CT scan, if inconclusive, have been associated with a reduction of negative appendectomy rates. The diagnostic algorithm for appendicitis can follow something like this, physical exam and first-line ultrasound, if inconclusive, then CT or MRI, which is preferred. For treatment, appendectomy can be performed either by an open technique or laparoscopically depending upon the surgeon's comfort level and the patient's gestational age. The ideal time for laparoscopy is in the second trimester. Okay, next, let's cover gallbladder disease. Biliary tract disease is the second most common non-obstetrical surgical problem. Weight gain and hormonal changes predispose pregnant women to biliary sludge and gallstone formation. Weakened contractions and delayed emptying lead to increased gallbladder volume during fasting and postprandially. Biliary stasis contributes to cholesterol crystal sequestration, theoretically leading to formation of sludge and stones. Estrogen increases bile lithogenicity, whereas progesterone impairs gallbladder emptying. Lower gallbladder ejection fractions and increased parity appear to increase the risk of sludge formation. The reported incidence of biliary sludge formation can be as high as 30%, while gallstone formation ranges from 3 to 12%. A total of 1 in 1,000 pregnancies will develop symptoms related to biliary colic. About one-third of patients with biliary colic will experience no additional bouts during the following two years. Unfortunately, approximately 80% of pregnant women presenting with symptoms will have recurrence of symptoms with 20 to 40% recurring prior to delivery. This recurrence is often more severe than the initial presentation. Surgical intervention is indicated for obstructive jaundice, acute cholecystitis, and gallstone pancreatitis, where once the non-operative management with delayed cholecystectomy of symptomatic cholelithiasis was encouraged, there is now emerging data suggesting that pregnant patients with symptomatic cholelithiasis should undergo cholecystectomy early due to the increase in the rate of recurrent hospitalizations, preterm delivery, spontaneous abortion, and fetal morbidity associated with non-operative expected management. In addition, non-operative management of symptomatic cholelithiasis increases the risk of gallstone pancreatitis by up to 15%, whereas once it was thought that the second trimester was the optimal time for cholecystectomy due to the decreased spontaneous abortion rate and preterm labor rate, there is growing body of evidence that suggests that laparoscopy can be performed actually in all trimesters with equal safety for gallbladder disease. Now, in clinical practice, Practice, however, although the data does seem to favor primary surgical intervention, most physicians are uncomfortable with taking a patient to surgery at their first presentation. Therefore, most patients will be treated with a combination of low-fat diet and antispasmodic medications and observe the patient until symptoms progress, 
increase or biliary blockage occurs. Okay, now as you wrap up this podcast, a quick word about cholidocolithiasis. Cholidocolithiasis in pregnancy is infrequent and it's estimated to be about 1 in 1,200 deliveries. However, therapeutic intervention is almost always required. The diagnosis of cholidocolithiasis is similar in both pregnant and non-pregnant patients. Fever, leukocytosis, abdominal pain, and hyperbilirubinemia can occur with or without shock, and all of these suggest a diagnosis of cholangitis. While Charcot's original triad had been shown to be 95% specific for cholangitis, it is only about 30% sensitive for the disease. The Tokyo Guidelines for Diagnosing Cholangitis, which were first published in 2007 and then later revised in 2012, have much higher sensitivities about 83 and 92 percent. Intravenous resuscitation and broad-spectrum antibiotics should be started immediately on suspicion of the diagnosis. Ultrasound can detect common bile duct stones, but only at a 30% sensitivity. If there's uncertainty in the diagnosis, MRCP has an excellent diagnostic choice and has good sensitivity and specificity, and it's not associated with any known adverse fetal effects, and it can be used in all stages of pregnancy. Endoscopic treatment of cholidocolithiasis, once the diagnosis is confirmed, is presently the treatment of choice in pregnant patients. In cases where endoscopic retrieval of the cholidocolithiasis is not possible, biliary stents may be placed. However, they do carry the risk of stent occlusion with subsequent cholangitis and also necessitate an additional procedure for stent removal. Lastly, a quick word about the third most common non-obstetrical abdominal surgery that occurs in pregnancy, and that's acute intestinal obstruction. Acute intestinal obstruction is the third most common non-obstetrical abdominal emergency with an incidence of about 1 in 1,500 pregnancies. Adhesions cause about 70% of these cases. Other causes can include vulvalus, intussusception, hernia, neoplasm, and appendicitis. The approach to intestinal obstruction is the same in pregnancy as in the general population. Medical management includes hydration, bowel rest, and nasogastric decompression, and that can lead to resolution in the majority of cases. Both laparoscopic as well as open approaches for surgery are acceptable. Mortality for gestational intestinal obstruction is higher than for non-pregnant patients and increases as gestational age increases. Excessive manipulation of the uterus should be avoided. Fetal monitoring should be used in all viable cases of 24 weeks and older. Now, this is fetal monitoring, usually pre-procedure and post-procedure. Well, that wraps up our session covering the three most common types of non-obstetric emergent surgical conditions in pregnancy. We have covered appendicitis, biliary disease, as well as intestinal obstruction. We'll see you next time.